Man, uh, you can grab a seat. Hey, if you're new with us, uh, so grateful that you're here. Uh, if you'll do us a favor, uh, you should see a connect card on one of the ends of the rows uh, that you sat on. If you'll grab that and start filling that out, and then after the gathering is over this morning, just right over here on the other side of that pipe and drape, uh, we'll have a connect table with some people there to greet you. And so if you'll take that connect card over there, they'll help you get connected and tell you a little bit more about our church. They can help you get connected with the service team uh, so that you can start serving with us. You can help you get connected with a community group, uh, with our pathways of care, and with our pathways of discipleship. And so head over there after the gathering this morning. And one of the pathways of discipleship uh, that I want to let you know about uh, is our equipping events. One of the ways we kind of help each other try to follow Jesus and grow in Jesus is through our equipping events. And we have our next equipping event uh, coming up this Saturday here at FCA from 9 to noon uh, covering the Trinity. Uh, and I'm getting so, so excited about this. It's going to be a great time. We're just going to have a party together. And uh, man, I really can't think of anything more foundational for us to study than who our God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to, to know God and to know who he is and what he's done for us. I, I really can't think of anything more important. And so we're just going to jam out on the Trinity for a couple hours next Saturday and would love to see you there. You can RSVP and please RSVP uh, online and let us know you'll be there at veritasfayetteville.com forward slash events. You can do it on your phone right now. I'm giving you permission to be on your phone during the sermon uh, only for like the next 30 seconds. Then you've got to put it away. Uh, but you can go fill that out now and RSVP. Uh, and, and join us next Saturday. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, you can start making your way to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Last week we kicked off our series in the book of Genesis and, and really just focused on the first verse and talked about how God created everything out of nothing and just focused on the bigness and the power and the glory of God. Uh, this week we're going to go through the first 25 verses, look at the first six days of creation leading up to right before the point where God creates man uh, and woman. And, and what I want us to see together in this text this morning is that God is a good God who gives us a good creation as a good gift so that we might enjoy his goodness through it. A uh, lot of good in that sentence. That's just a Baptist preacher in me that I'm not going to be able to grow out of, so you just have to forgive me for that. Uh, but I also am trying to make a point because there is a whole lot of good here in Genesis 1, and, and more than anything else, I want you to walk out of here this morning just being blown away by the goodness and, and the grace and the glory of God, by just how good uh, that he is. And so let's jump into this. Let's get into this. Uh, we've got so much awesome stuff to cover today. I'm really fired up about this text. So let's look at this together. The first 25 verses of Genesis chapter 1. God's word speaks to us like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said... Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, I, I know that for many of us, as we read through that chapter, uh, the questions were immediately popping up for you. Uh, you know what questions I'm talking about, right? Uh, are we going to talk about how old the earth is? Are, are we going to talk about if these are 24-hour days or not? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, but before we go there, I want to lay out a few things for you. Uh, first, that God is the creator is not an open-handed issue for us. Like, we are not materialistic evolutionists who believe that we came from nothing, for nothing, and are headed for nothing. We believe that we are created by God, for God, and, and for God. Like, God is our creator. That's not an open-handed issue. What is open-handed uh, is the specifics of how God created and, and the specific interpretation of some of the details laid out here in Genesis chapter 1. Like, this is what's open-handed, and much more than I want you to share my specific interpretation of the specifics and details of what's going on here in Genesis chapter 1, uh, much more than that, I want us as a church to be marked by humility on open-handed issues like this. Because listen, this is an incredibly tough text to interpret, and, and the giants, like I'm talking the giants of church history, like John Chrysostom and Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther and John Calvin all came down in different places as to the specifics of how we interpret what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 here. Like we, we need to be humble about our position because if they couldn't figure it out, like those giants couldn't figure it out, uh, we're probably not going to be the first generation that comes along and comes to an agreement and comes to a final conclusion on all the details here. Like we, we need to be humble about our position. Like you could be wrong about the details of your interpretation here. I could be wrong about the details of my interpretation here. 
And and one of the ways we model that humility in uh, being open-handed about this is that we should be able to worship alongside of and fellowship with people here in this church who believe the exact opposite of you on the age of the earth and what these days of creation are. Like, listen, even as elders, like our, our pastoral team here, we don't all agree on the specifics. Uh, some of us are older, some of us are younger, some of us think these are 24-hour days, some of us do not, uh, but we are all deeply unified on the essentials. Because none of us is trying to get out from the Bible's authority or, and get out from under submission to it and try to do away with the authority it has in our lives. None of us is saying that God is not the creator and no one in here is denying that what Genesis 1 gives us is true history and facts about creation. Uh, where we differ is on the specifics of what the history being spoken of in Genesis 1 is here and how we best interpret this. Like, hear me. Those who believe the earth is older and that these aren't 24-hour days are not compromisers who are trying to do away with the Bible's authority. And those who believe the earth is younger and these are six 24-hour days are not anti-science hillbillies who just won't listen to the evidence. Like, we need to tone down the rhetoric and have humility and charity with one another because this is a difficult thing to interpret. Like, Uh, it's not wrong for us to have a position on this. It's not wrong to hold to it. It's not wrong to advocate for it. I have one, and I'm about to do just that. Uh, But if you can't have fellowship with someone who disagrees with you on the specifics here, that's a much bigger issue than where you land on the days of creation and the age of the earth. Because the days of creation and the age of the earth really doesn't seem to be Moses' primary concern here in writing this. Uh, Because if it was, he could have been a whole lot clearer about it. Because in verse 1, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that word, that phrase, in the beginning, you know what it specifies? An indefinite period of time. So, so God created everything in the beginning. When was the beginning? Well, well, we don't know. Like, Moses just doesn't tell us. It could have been old. It could have been young. We just don't know. It, it's left up into, kind of up in the air. It's an indefinite period of time. And, and we've got to remember Like, Moses is writing this first to the Israelites. He's not writing a science textbook here. And and that's not to say that this isn't true and historical and factual. It absolutely is. But Moses does not have the modern scientific world and evolution in mind as he writes this. Like, Moses is not pinning Genesis 1 thinking, all right, 6,000 years from now, uh, a guy named Charles Darwin is going to be born and come on the scene, and he's going to grow up and write on the origin of the species, and we need to have an answer for that. Like, he's not thinking that. And listen, we do have an answer for that. God created the whole universe out of nothing all by himself. Like, that's the answer. We weren't made by nothing for nothing. We were made by God for God. God is our creator. That's what Moses is trying to to tell us here. Moses is presenting with us with a theological framework, a God-centered framework to help understand and make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. He is telling us something about God, that this is God's world, that God made it, that God is our creator. This is what he's trying to get at here. He, he's, the point of Genesis 1 is that we worship God as our good creator, that we come to know him and love him and trust him as our creator, not that we all come to an agreement on the details. All right, with that, uh, let's, let's walk through this chapter together now. So, so, 
So Genesis 1 kind of lays out creation in three stages, if you will. Stage 1 is what we looked at last week in verse 1, where God creates everything out of nothing. In the beginning, he creates the heavens and the earth. Uh, Now, people disagree and differ over what verse 1 is doing in this chapter. Some people say that verse 1 is a summary of the rest of the chapter. So think of it like the, uh, the title of a chapter that summarizes the rest of what's going on in the chapter. So it's the summary of verses 2 through 31. And other people say that it's not the summary. It's the first act and event of creation. And I think it's both. Uh, I think it's both because if it's just a summary of the rest of the chapter, then the earth we find in verse 2 existed eternally alongside of God, which really throws into question his transcendence, really throws into question his pre-existing creation and being greater than it and actually creating it uh, because he didn't create it out of nothing in that sense. He just formed and shaped what was already there. And it contradicts all the other verses in the Bible we looked at last week that tell us that God created everything out of nothing. And so verse 1 is the first act and event of creation, but it's not just that. It's also giving us a summary of the rest of the chapter because heavens and earth is a merism, uh, describing everything that's caught up in between. Like Just like when you say someone's covered in mud from head to toe, you're talking about everything in between. Heavens and earth uh, is not just describing the first first thing that God creates uh, is also describing what God does to form and fill the earth in days one through six. And so uh, this is what happens. God creates the universe out of nothing in verse one, but what we find in verse two uh, is that the earth that he creates is still without form and void or formless and empty. Uh, I promise you I'm not going to do this often, but this is such a great phrase in the Hebrew. This is such a fun one to impress your friends with. The phrase here for formless and empty in verse 2 is tohu vavohu. Uh, Say that with me. That's a lot of fun. Tohu vavohu. And and a lot of people take their cues from what this phrase means uh, from Greek philosophy, which taught uh, that there was this eternal chaos that existed alongside of God, that the earth was chaotic and out of control and evil, and then God came along and, and kind of formed it and reshaped it and turned it into an orderly cosmos. Uh, but, but Greek philosophy was not around when Genesis 1 was written. Genesis 1 was written way before Greek philosophy ever came on the scene, And so we shouldn't take our cues from Greek philosophy. We should take our cues from the Bible. We should look to the rest of the Bible to understand what this phrase means. And when we look to the rest of the Bible, we find this phrase being used to describe the desert and the wilderness, uh, places that would have been really familiar to the Israelites who were uh, redeemed out of slavery in Egypt and were journeying towards the promised land through the wilderness as Moses is writing the book of Genesis. So this is describing places that are uh, desert-like, that are a wilderness, that aren't yet habitable for human life, that that you can't live there yet. And and so Genesis 1 is not saying the earth was chaotic and evil and out of control. It's saying it was formless and empty. Uh, It's not yet habitable for human life. People can't live there yet. It's kind of like Kansas. Have y'all ever driven through Kansas? Uh, Kansas is tohu vavohu. Like, it is a desolate wasteland. There is nothing there. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma, and so the only state we're allowed to make fun of for their landscape is Kansas. Uh, But Kansas is not habitable for human life. Like, there is nothing there. It is just flat as a pancake. Uh, You you can't sustain life. It is tohu vavohu. 
Uh, and so this is stage two uh, of these three stages. Stage one, God creates the universe out of nothing, the heavens and the earth. Stage two, uh, it's, it's still formless and empty. It's not yet habitable for human life. And so in stage three, God begins to address this, and this is really, really good news. Like before God creates humankind, before he creates us, he prepares the world for us. He prepares a place for us because he's a good God that loves us and cares for us. Like, we, we don't have to live in a desert. We don't have to live in the wilderness because God is a good God who loves to give good gifts to his kids. And so he begins to prepare this like this. Uh, now, maybe you pick this up, too, as we read and notice this. But these days, days one through six, are perfectly organized and structured to address the formlessness and emptiness that we see described in verse 2. Did you notice that, that days one through three are all about God forming the heavens and the earth, and then days four through six are about God filling the places in the heavens and the earth that he had formed, right? On day one, God speaks light into existence. He separates the light from the darkness. He calls the dark light day and the darkness night, and then on day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars to give light to the places that he had formed. He creates what will fill the world with light and what will mark off day and night for us. On day two, he separates the waters below, the seas, the oceans, the rivers, from the waters above, the clouds that will bring rain from the sky. Uh, and then on day five, he creates uh, birds to fill the heavens, to fill the skies and the waters above, and fish and sea creatures to fill the waters below. On day three, he causes the dry ground to appear where, where humans and animals will live, and then he makes plants to, bear, to come up and bear fruit and seeds so that we have something to eat. And then on day six, he creates animals and humans, what will live on the land and what will eat the plants and the seeds that he created. Like it's also perfectly structured and organized to perfectly address the formlessness and the emptiness uh, that is described in verse two. Uh, maybe thinking about it like this would help. If I told you that before I came to church this morning, this would be a lie, but if I told you uh, that before I came to church this morning, I made my bed, uh, I really could mean two things by that, right? Like, I could mean that I actually got the wood together and nailed the wood together and, like, put the slats down and put up a headboard and then put the mattress on the frame, uh, or I could mean that I put the comforters and the sheets and the pillows back where they're supposed to go. Right, well, add a third definition when you're talking about God, because he can create things out of nothing, and we can't do that. Uh, and so with those three definitions, what I would argue that you have here in Genesis 1 is that God made the bed, then he made the bed, then he made the bed. So God made the bed. He created everything out of nothing. Then he made the bed, but it wasn't yet habitable for human life. So then he makes the bed again. He starts forming the places that are formless and giving shape to them. And then he makes the bed again. He starts filling the emptiness, right? It's also perfectly structured and organized. And so I think that we should think of these days uh, more like God accomplishing and executing a well-laid-out plan rather than just thinking of, of time passing on a clock. Like, I, I think we should see these days as God's work days, which are like ours but not identical to ours. They're like our days. They give form and shape to our days. They give the pattern for our days and for our work weeks, but they're not identical to our 24-hour solar days because the sun doesn't come into the picture on day, until day four, and it seems hard to have a 24-hour solar day without the sun. 
uh, and, and we didn't read it, but verse 7, uh, I mean, uh, in chapter 2, day 7, there's no phrase, there was evening and morning the seventh day. Uh, it just goes on forever in the text, not as a 24-hour day, which I, I think should affect how we interpret these other six days. And, and listen, if you don't go there with me, if you don't land at that same interpretation, that's, that's completely okay. Once again, this part is open-handed. We can disagree about this, and, and I'm cool with that. And, and if you do have questions, you do want to argue a little bit with me, that's cool too. You can email me at Travis at VeritasFayetteville.com, and, and he'll answer all of your questions. All right, well, uh, let's walk through these days together one at a time, and I promise you we'll pick up some speed and go quickly through these. So day one, uh, God speaks light into existence. Uh, his, his word breaks forth to create as he says, let there be light, and there was light. Like, God spoke, and it came to be, right? God spoke, and there it was. Let there be light, and then there was light. Uh, you can't do that. I can't do that. Right, if I say, hey, everybody, I want you to get up right now and walk into the lobby, the vast majority of you are not going to do that because I can't compel you to do anything with my speech. But when God speaks, like things happen, things come into being. God's word always accomplishes what he wants it to accomplish. God's words are reality creating. They bring something into being and existence that wasn't there before. This is why when we talk about God justifying us, like God declaring us righteous, we really are righteous because his words are reality creating. They bring about a new situation that wasn't there before. They bring about a new reality. And so God speaks light into the darkness. He separates the light from the darkness. He calls the light day and the darkness night, evening and morning. That's the first day. And this would be like our Sunday. Uh, on day two, what would be like our Monday, God uh, separates the waters below from the waters above. He, he puts the sky in between. And if you notice, this is the only day that it does not say that God saw that it was good. You know why? Because it's Monday. Uh, even God does not like Mondays. He's like, eh, could do without Monday. Monday's not that good. Uh, no, totally kidding. The reason why it does not say that God saw that it was good is because there's nothing created here, nothing done here that directly benefits human life, right? Like the waters below are still covering the land where we're going to live, and so uh, it, it's not good yet. And so God addresses this in day three. He causes the dry ground to appear, and then he creates plants and seeds to bear fruit uh, so that we have something to eat. Like this is a good gift from God. God creates a place for us to live and food for us to eat because he's a good God who loves to give good gifts to his kids. On day four, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, what will fill the world with light. And I just want you to think for a second, like, have you ever thought about how big the sun is? God spoke that into existence without breaking a sweat. Not only that, he spoke the whole universe into existence. Like our solar system's a little dot in, in all the other galaxies. He spoke all of that into existence. That wasn't there before he created it. He's that big. He's that powerful. And, and so he speaks the sun, moon, and stars into existence. But not only does he do that, not only does he make them, it says that he makes them to be for signs and seasons for days and years to rule over the day and to rule over the night. And so God here, he's giving us uh, the ability to mark time. He's giving us days and weeks and seasons and rhythms and years. 
Like he, he's giving us a work week of six days of labor and one, days of, one day of rest. It's a good gift from God. Like God made the seasons. God made the rhythms of life. God made the weather. So those days when it's like 75 degrees with a gentle breeze and sunny and it just feels like a foretaste of heaven, like it's not ever going to get any better than this. Like God made that as a gift for us because God is a really, really good God. On day five, God creates the, the fish and the sea creatures to fill the waters below. He creates the birds to fill the waters and the skies above. And if you notice, it says something new that Genesis 1 hasn't said yet. It says that God blesses them. Now, this is going to be a huge theme in the book of Genesis. The word blessing or bless appears over 80 times in the book of Genesis, and it's almost always connected with life, with God's purpose to give life and joy to his people. And this is really, really good news because we only have two chapters of Genesis before sin, death, and corruption enters into the world. But even when sin enters into the world, God continues to bless. God continues to pursue. Like we rebel, we run away, but God continues to bless and he doesn't stop blessing until he sets his world to right. God is a good God who loves to bless his children. Uh, day six, God creates animals, and, and we'll focus in on it next week. He creates humanity on this day as well, uh, and this is a good gift for us, for him to create animals for us. It's not until Genesis 9 that we're allowed to eat animals, um, and so praise God that we live on the other side of Genesis 9 and get to enjoy God's gifts of steak and cheeseburgers uh, and all of that, but even before that, this is an agricultural society. And so they're going to use animals and livestock to help uh, plow their fields and farm their lands and bring up food for, from the earth. God creates the animals as a gift for human, for human beings uh, because he wants to bless us, because he wants us to have food to eat uh, and to help us to live. And, and as we'll see next week, humans are the high point of God's creation. We're the most important thing that he creates. Like, just like we said last week, God does not need the world to be God. Like, God did not create us, and he did not create the world because he was lonely or he needed something. He created simply as a gift to lavish his goodness and love and grace on us. Like, like think of this. The only time in these six days it does not say that God saw that it was good is when what he did had no immediate benefit for human life. Like, God prepared this world for us. He prepared this place for us to give it to us as a gift so that we would have a place to have fellowship with him and enjoy him in and through the good world that he has made. And, and, and so what I want us to do, because that's true, with the rest of our time together is just kind of focus on Genesis 1 as a whole and, and kind of dial in on the goodness of God that we see displayed here in Genesis 1. I want to draw out a few things. So first thing I want to draw out is that creation is a good gift from a good God so that we might enjoy and know his goodness through it. Like part of recognizing the goodness of the created world that God makes is to realize uh, that creation is not functional or utilitarian, it's enjoyable, right? Like sex is not utilitarian. God did not just make it for the purpose of having kids, he made it enjoyable. God did not have to do that. Food is not just functional or utilitarian. It's not just something tasteless that we have to shovel into our mouths three times a day to stay alive. He made it taste good. He made it taste really good. Like he didn't have to do it that way, but he did. 
We're supposed to enjoy God in these created things, in these gifts that he gives us. We're supposed to have an incredible dinner and have an incredible drink and think, oh my gosh, how good must God be if this exists as a gift for us? Like, how good must God be that he would give a gift like this for us to enjoy? And we're supposed to swim in the ocean on a nice summer day and think, man, how good is God if this exists just simply as a gift for us to enjoy? We're supposed to enjoy good music, enjoy a good drink, enjoy a good meal, enjoy good time with family and friends, enjoy a satisfying workday and say, God made this. This is a good gift from God. To, to borrow a phrase, God made this world as a cosmic playground, and then he just told us to go play and enjoy it. Like, it's as if uh, he's your parents on Christmas Day giving you uh, the present you so badly wanted, and you unwrap it, and he says, hey, let's go play with it together. Let's go enjoy it together. God, God does not say, hey, what I want you to do with all your time, every waking moment, I want you to be reading your Bible or praying or being in church, and if you're not, you're not being faithful. No, he says, here's this gift. Enjoy it. Enjoy good things. Enjoy the world. Enjoy family. Enjoy friends. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy a good drink. Enjoy me through it. We enjoy these created things, and then they roll up into enjoyment of God as we think, oh my gosh, uh, how, how good must God be if this gift is so good and he's greater than everything that he created? Like, listen, we should not be joyless people. We should be setting the example to the rest of the world in how to take enjoyment in created things. Like as Christians, we should be known for our parties, known for the way that we party. I'm not talking about getting drunk for Jesus. I am talking about being known for the way we celebrate each other and have fun with each other and enjoy each other and God's good gifts in the created world that he gives us. We should be known for our joy, known for the way we take the most delight out of anybody else in created things because we know that they're not ultimate. They don't have to be God for us, but they are a really good gift to enjoy our really good God with. That leads to the second thing I want to draw out here, uh, which is just the beauty and the creativity of God. Like what God makes it isn't just enjoyable, it's also beautiful. Like God does not make the word world ugly, he made it beautiful. He, he made it beautiful so that we might get a glimpse of his beauty and glory and bigness. He made this world as a cosmic theater to showcase and display his good glory. This is why Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the created world preaches the work of his hands. The world declares the glory of God and so we're meant to go to the mountains and enjoy the God and worship the God who made them so awe-inspiring and incredible. We're supposed to go to the beach and stare out at the vastness of the ocean and just get lost, caught up in enjoying the bigness of God and the fact that he said he's drowned all our sins in the depths of the sea. Uh, we're just meant to go outside and enjoy and take delight in the created world that God has made. God made beautiful things as a way for us to see him and know his beauty through them and enjoy it. The, the third thing I want us to draw out here is just God's care for his creation. Uh, sometimes we unintentionally talk about salvation, like salvation is God getting us out of earth. Uh, almost as if Jesus is really going to save us. He has to kind of blow the earth up like the Death Star to do it. But that's really not the picture that the Bible gives us at all. Like God cares about his creation. He's not going to abandon it. He's going to redeem it. 
God loves the good world that he made. We are the ones who screw it up. Like he gave us this good creation as a gift, but instead of treating it as a gift, we rebelled and ran away from him and began to worship creation instead of the creator. We thought that we could be a better God than God is and find life and joy and freedom and enjoyment outside of him. Like we rebelled, but what we'll see over and over and over again in Genesis is that in spite of our rebellion, God continues to bless. It doesn't make any sense, but he does not quit on us. He's steadfast in his purposes to bless us. God is so committed to the creation that he made. He's so cares about it, that he was willing to actually take it on in the incarnation when Jesus, God the Son, became flesh. And when Jesus is on the earth, do you know what he's doing? He's doing the exact same thing that he did here in Genesis 1. Because look, he speaks and the wind and waves and sea obey him and go where, they te- where he tells them to go, just like they did here. Like he speaks and people that were dead come back to life. They come back into existence just like he brought everything into existence here. He speaks and eyes that forever, the whole time had been blind, had never seen light, are suddenly flooded with light as he makes all things new. He brings order where there is disorder. He exercises demons out of a man and brings them right into his right state of mind. He multiplies food on the earth just as a blessing to feed humans like he did here in the beginning. He he fills the emptiness of the Samaritan woman when he tells her, hey, I've got living water, and if you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. Do you know what Jesus is doing in all of that? He's restoring his creation. He's forming and he's filling. He's bringing the first fruits of the new creation, the new creation where there will be no more death, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, just life, joy, and freedom with Jesus forever. You know how I know that's true. Man, I hope you notice the the repeated emphasis here in Genesis chapter one on God doing what? Speaking, right? Speaking over and over and over. And God said, And God said, and God said, and God said, the way God creates is through his word. And and on the first day of creation, God's word goes forth to create as he speaks light into existence when he says, let there be light, and there was light. In John's gospel, we've already seen how he refers to Jesus as the word. And, And when Jesus is crucified, when he dies on the cross, is buried, and then rises from the grave, What day do the Gospels tell us that Jesus rises from the grave? Sunday, right? Sunday, early in the morning on the first day of the week. Like the the same word that was here in the beginning bringing all things into existence is the same word that God is recreating the world through. Like Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of the new creation, so much so that Paul can tell us in 2 Corinthians 5 that if we're in Christ, we're what? We're a new creation, a new creation. Jesus does the work in our hearts and our lives that he did here in the beginning. He shines the light of the glory of God. He makes us come back to life. Like to have Jesus come into your life, to have him save you is to experience a new Genesis. He gives you life and he makes you new. But not only does he make us new creations, what does he tell us in John chapter 14? That he is going away to prepare a place for us. 
that he is preparing the new creation for us where we will live with him on a new earth with none of the effects of sin and death that we brought in. No, no more sin, no more death, no more corruption, no more pain, no more crying, no more, only life and joy with Jesus forever. Listen, the best joys in this life, the best joys, I'm talking the best food, the best sex, the best time with friends and family, the best joys are just a dim hint and foreshadow of what the joys we will experience with Jesus in that new world. They're meant to fill us with hope and point us forward with longing to what that world will be. Like this is what's coming for all of us who believe. This is what's on the table for you if you do not follow Jesus yet, if you will come to him today. God is a good God who does not quit on his good creation. He will make it all new and he will bless until all the sin, death, and corruption is gone. Just like he did here with the first one, he will give us the new creation as a good gift where we will live with him in fullness of joy and life forever. And until, while we wait for that day, until he brings this new creation in, do you know what Jesus is doing even this moment right now? He, he's doing the work of Genesis 1 on our hearts and our lives, and he's recreating them right now. God continues to use his word to show us Jesus, and through it, the Holy Spirit begins to bear fruit in our lives as things that were not there before start to come up and start to bear fruit. Like as we walk with Jesus, we start to find new resources to have peace when everything around us seems chaotic. We find new resources to be able to love those who seem unlovable. We find new resources to be patient with those we live with who seem to make us so impatient. We find new resources to display a sort of goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness instead of a life marked by anger and hatred and selfishness. We find a new ability to grow in self-control. Like that's Jesus working in you. The spirit of Jesus bears his fruit in us through the word, just like God did here in creation so that our lives might be marked more and more by his new creation work. And so this is the good news that Genesis gives us, whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. The same word that was here in the beginning, speaking all things into existence, can come into your life right now and make all things new. Like, do not tell me things are too dark. Do not tell me you're without hope. Do not tell me it's too far gone for you. It's just not true. Jesus can fill your emptiness. Jesus can give form and shape and meaning to your life. Jesus can bring life out of death. Jesus can shine light in your darkness because he has the power of new creation. New creation. Not a new book to read, not some self-help tips to try out, the power to make all things brand new. Listen, you need to believe this. You need to believe that God is a good God who loves to give good gifts to his kids and wants to bless you. You need to believe that God is not out to get you, he's out to bless you. Life and blessing and joy are found in him, in enjoying him, in knowing him, in coming to Jesus and letting him do this work of new genesis in your life. This is what he can do in you, whether you've never followed Jesus or you've been following him for years. He can form and fill. He can give shape. He can bring light in the darkness. He can make all things new. Let me pray that he would in our lives. Jesus, thank you for this good news that you have the power to make all things new, that you were here in the beginning as the creator, 
speaking the world into existence, that you are here forming and filling and giving shape to the creation as a gift to us. But not only that, uh, thank you, Jesus, that you can form and fill and give shape to our lives, that you can come in and, and shine light where there has previously only been darkness, that you can bring order where there is disorder, that you can heal and restore when things are so broken that you really, truly can make all things new. And so I pray that we would rest in this, Jesus, and we would come to you, we would submit to you and let, let you do this work of new genesis in our lives. Jesus, this week, would you make us new? Would you cause your spirit to bear fruit in us so that we more and more might be marked by your work? We might look more like you. We might find a depth of peace, joy, love, goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. Jesus, would you do it in us? Would you make us new? Would you continue to recreate our hearts and our lives? And would you teach us to wait with longing for that day as we enjoy the good gifts uh, that you've given us? In your name, amen.